When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're joined now by Brock Kreitzberg. Brock excelled in the sport of bobsledding, and he was a part of the Olympic bobsled team in 2006, and he was the 2007 World Cup champion. After competing as an athlete, he transitioned from what he calls a self-serving mindset to a life devoted to serving others. And we're going to talk much more about that today. Brock, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Hey, uh, bobsledding is such a unique sport. I love watching bobsledding. What got you into bobsledding? Were you inspired by the movie Cool Runnings? <laughs> you know, I knew about Cool Runnings, but definitely did not inspire me. Um, you know, I played football growing up, and my aspiration was to uh, play in the NFL. And I had the opportunity to be uh, in minicamp with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but uh, they didn't sign me. And so uh, I actually went on to grad school. And when I uh, was in seminary, I had an itch to compete again. And uh, I started looking into other sports to become involved in. And the bobsled team recruited me. And it was a two to three month recruiting process where they brought athletes in and cut athletes. And out of that came three of us. Wow. So that, that is so cool. When I think of um, the bobsled, you know, you've got, well, I, I know they've got different numbers of people in the sled, depending on which, which uh, event it is. How do you actually maneuver the bobsled? Because you got the guy in the back who's, who's pushing and you got the ones up in the front. I mean, what, what position did you, what was your role? So I was primarily in the back. So the very last guy. So you have three push athletes and then you have the driver. So the driver is like the captain of the team. And so he has basically what looks like a little uh, D-rings on bungee cords. And as he is driving, he pulls on the bungee cord to go left. He pulls on the bungee cord to go, to go right. And you have to navigate you know, going down the track you know, over 90 miles an hour on these uh, very sharp turns um, can be uh, a fun but very rough ride on your body. 90 miles an hour. I mean, that's fast enough in a car, let alone being just inches away from the concrete hard ice that you're going down. What, is that, what does that feel like? Can you compare it to anything else? Uh, it's, like a, it's like a roller coaster on steroids, right? Because the position that I was in, I had my head between my legs. And so you're going down and it feels almost like someone's jumping on your back and punching you in your ribs. You're traveling down at 90 miles an hour, and then you hit three to four Gs around the left-hand turn. And I haven't done anything like it since. Let's say it's, a, it's an adrenaline rush. I would love to know the story of how you came to follow Jesus. Was it, was it as you were going 90 miles an hour and you saw your life fly, flashing before your eyes, and you're like, help me, Jesus? Or do you have another story? <laughs> no, you know, I, uh, my father passed away when I was... Um, when I was 13. And that began a, uh, a journey for me because I prayed for my father to get healed and, and he wasn't. Uh, but that conversation that I had started uh, with him during that, uh, at that point continued throughout my, my uh, high school and, and college career. And I remember I, try, I, was, I had an emptiness inside of me 
And I tried to fill it, you know, with athletic success, with friends, all these different external um, things. But the more I tried to fill it, the emptier I became. And it wasn't until I was in college, I played college football, and that I met with our team chaplain. And he shared with me um, about Jesus, about how we can have a relationship with him. But because of sin, we are separated from, from God. So uh, that night, um, I remember it was on a Wednesday after practice, he, um, I surrendered my life to Christ. And I tell you, my, the direction of my life completely changed to wanting to, to serve uh, myself to wanting to serve Jesus. Let me, let me ask you this question, Brock. Uh, you competed in the Winter Games in 2006 in Turin, Italy. What was that like? I mean, most of us don't know anything of that kind of intensity with regard to training. And it's not just physical training, but it's also mental training, uh, emotional training, spiritual training. Can, can you give us a picture of, of what that's like? So to be an Olympic athlete, like your whole world revolves around making the Olympics. Right? You have a laser-like focus, and anything outside of that goal is eliminated. And, you know, when I made the Olympic team in 2006, I was one of nine athletes and one of 211 winter athletes to represent the United States. And it was exhilarating to walk into opening ceremonies. But that also comes with an enormous amount of pressure. We were predicted to win a gold medal. And so you can feel it. You can taste that gold medal, but you have to go out and perform Wow, I can only imagine what that's like because you're going out there tasting the gold medal, but so are the other teams from around the world. They're tasting it too. And, uh, and, and now you got to get out there and represent your country. And then in 2007, you actually won the World Cup. You were ranked number one in the world. What, what does that mountaintop experience feel like? You, you've mastered your craft, right? You, you have been doing something for years and finally you're at the pinnacle of your sport, right? You, you're the best in the world. You know, normally it's great to be the best on your team, but to be best in the world was such, uh, such an honor. But being an athlete, that can't be enough, right? You, you're looking for the next thing. You're, it's great that we won the World Cup championship. Mm. Now we look to the next thing, right? It's, yeah. never, it's never enough. You're always looking for more. You want to now go back to the Olympics. You want to win uh, an Olympic gold. And so uh, you enjoy that win for about a week and then it's back to work again. Brock, as a follower of Christ, uh, you're going to probably have insights into this verse of scripture that others don't have. What, what, is, what does this make you feel when you hear uh, Paul say, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we, as followers of Christ, do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my own body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. How have you understood that now that you're a follower of Christ? As, I, as a follower of Christ, and as I'm achieving the um, eternal prize, I need to use those same tools that I had when I was an athlete. You know, I need to d be disciplined each day to spend time in God's word, to pray, to resist sin so that I can uh, present myself to the Lord and he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
If there's athletes who are watching us right now and, and they're really, their ears just perked up because of this conversation and the success that you've achieved, what advice would you give to them as young athletes? And they've got their eye on the prize, maybe even of the Olympics, um, but they're also a follower of Christ. What would you say to them right now? Hmm. I would say, one, keep your eye on the prize. Continue to show up and do the work as an athlete, right? You need to uh, be disciplined and each day you need to continue to improve. But not only as an athlete, you need to do that spiritually as well. You need to show up each day and do the work, right? You need to pray, you need to fast, you need to uh, read your word, read the word so that you are spiritually strong. You're gonna be very strong physically, but spiritually you need to be just as strong because there's a lot of temptation within the sports world. And the more success that you have within the sports world, the more temptation, the more yeah. things there are uh, to distract you from, from your goal. That's a great, that's a great takeaway for, for those who are involved in this kind of, uh, of vocation, of professional sports. Grow in your physical strength, but don't let your physical strength outpace your spiritual growth because you're gonna to need to be spiritually strong because of the success that may come from your, your, physical, your physical strength. Brock, something happened to you later on in your career that made it so that you had to learn how to walk again, learn how to train again. That, what, what happened? You know, so I had a hip injury and uh, I wound up having two surgeries. Uh, the doctor had told me, if you don't have surgery, you could wind up in a wheelchair in 10 years. And so it's like, that's, you know, when you're confronted with that, you're like, I have no choice. I had my hip scoped and then I had my hip reconstructed. And it was a long journey back um, to, to rehab, to be back at a, an elite level. Um, within a year after having my hip reconstructed, uh, I was able to make the, the, uh, the bobsled team in, in 2010, which was the year uh, for the next next Olympics, but it was a hard road. Both it was challenging physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Wow, that that's even more, almost even more inspiring than reaching the Olympics with uh, a perfectly healthy body. Is that you're back on the team after a hip injury and having that kind of reconstruction? And then in 2009, you got a, a devastating phone call. What was that about? So I made the team after my surgery. I made the team, the national team. And um, if you think about Olympic year this year, right, there's um, the, the bobsled team has a se uh, the first half of the season before Christmas, and that they will stay over in Europe uh, during the Christmas break so that it's, you know, their training isn't interrupted, their sleep schedule, they're not jet lagged, they'll stay in, in uh, Europe so that leading into the games, the games start February 4th. And I did the same thing. I stayed there to train, but on Christmas Eve, I received a phone call from my coach telling me, Brock, you're just not performing. We got to send you home. So essentially that was, that was ending my Olympic uh, bid for, for that year. And that was devastating because, you know, you have such a focus for so many years on making the Olympics and by one phone call, it's eliminated. So I sat there just praying, what am I going to do? I mean, I was in tears. Like, what am I going to do? My, what I have invested my whole life into is now gone. Mm. And I felt, I felt lost. And, and maybe even had questions like, God, why did you lead me all this way? Here I am across the world. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even with my family for Christmas. And then you give me a phone call like this. Why? 
And then in 2010, uh, the Olympic bobsled team won in a huge way, and you're at home watching, wishing that you were part of that team. What did that feel like? I had mixed emotions, right? On one hand, these are my teammates. These are my brothers that we sacrificed. We competed for, for years together. So on one hand, I was excited for them. But on the other hand, I was devastated, right? I started going, what if? What if I wasn't injured? What if I chose not to have surgery? Could that have been me? Could I have had the life that I thought I should have had being a Olympic gold medalist? But that's not the direction the Lord had me going in. And that's where your faith uh, really comes into play. That's where the rubber meets the road. Brock, when we come back, uh, I'd love to talk with you about the moment that all Olympians face. It's, it's the what's next moment. You've got a, a powerful God-sized story that I wanna dive into after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back with Olympic bobsledder Brock Kreitzberg. Brock, uh, those of us at home get to see the, the glory and the fanfare moments that you experience. The win, the celebration, the awarding of the medals on the Olympic platform. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's so thrilling. Every Olympian, though, inevitably faces the big question after it's over. What's next? And you shared with us uh, just in the last segment about that moment when you realized that Olympic bobsledding was not going to be a big part of your future anymore. And God took you in a different direction. Uh, wh what did you do? Where did you go? And how did that affect your sense of identity? I flew straight from Germany to Los Angeles. I mean, what better place to go to find out what you're gonna do next than, than Los Angeles, but... Uh, you know, I Los Angeles is filled with people who are trying to find themselves and, and figure out who they are and what they want to do with their life. So that was a good move. Yeah, well, I didn't find it. Uh, God showed me. I didn't find it in Los Angeles. When I was there, I think I had a course of 15 different jobs, just figuring out. You know, you had such, as an elite athlete, you have such focus on that goal, on what you're doing. Yeah. And now I don't have that anymore. So what, what am I going to do? You know, God had at that point when I was in Los Angeles had stripped me of my of money, my athletic ability. I couldn't do anything. I didn't have family. I had very few friends. And he said, all you have is me. What are you going to do? And at that point, I had to make a decision. Am I going to trust and follow the Lord or am I going to turn away? And I decided if I left, if I turned away from God, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have no, I have no focus spiritually. Um, I will be lost. And that kind of began a journey. That was a stake in my life that I look back to every day and say, God was faithful and he changed the direction of my life. 
You know, Brock, I think that can be a blessing in anyone's life when something like this happens. And not that we wish for our career to fall, fall apart, uh, but it is a moment to re-examine our identity. Does my vocation define me? Am I an actor or am I someone who was made in the image of God to bring a bit of heaven to earth through the gifts and talents and relationships, resources that God's given me? And that's what God gave you essentially by stripping you of the ability to pursue this dream of winning an Olympic gold medal. I began to pray and I prayed the most exciting yet the scariest prayer I've ever prayed. I said, God, I will go anywhere or do anything for the name of Christ. And I continued to pray and I continued to pray. And that led me to uh, selling everything that didn't fit in a four by four storage container. Um, I had a friend of a friend that I was introduced with and I moved to Japan. About 10 years ago, there was a tsunami and earthquake in Japan. And I felt the Lord, few times have I heard the Lord uh, you know, push me in a, um, in a direction. He did. He pushed me to Japan and I, I left. It was a, a, an enormous step of faith to go when I had no direction, no plan, but I knew God was calling me there. Now, why did you go to Japan? You didn't, you didn't have uh, some sort of Japanese bobsledding team that you, were gonna, that you were gonna compete with, right? I mean, you didn't have job prospects there. Did you have friends there? Like, why did you go there? Um, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go from being, uh, living a, a self-serving life to a life of serving others. And I saw that, you know, that I remember watching the tsunami come in and wipe out communities. And I felt I wanted to go, I wanted to go and, and help. And I had a waterproof, I had one waterproof bag that I stuffed, stuffed everything in. I had a sleeping bag and I said, God's calling me here. Maybe I'll sleep on the floor. Maybe I'll sleep in the hotel. I don't know, but mm. I want to go help. I want to invest in someone else or something else rather than just Brock. Man, that, that sounds great. I, I think that's a, that's, that's what I think people feel when they go on missions trips. They get their focus off of themselves and onto other people, except those who go on missions trips so that they can uh, uh, take some Instagram selfies and to show all their friends all the good work that they're doing. But it sounds like you were going to get your focus off of yourself and onto others. My wife often uh, says this to our kids. Uh, kids remember, uh, me, misery. Speaking of our focus, me, misery, others, joy. And, and, and that's what God tells us in his word. Now, within two weeks of you going to Japan, you then got a job offer. How did that work out? Yeah, within two weeks, I was connected with Samaritan's Purse. Um, and I, I worked there with Samaritan's Purse, and that began, began an incredible journey with Samaritan's Purse. I was there, uh, again, just seeing God's faithfulness, his hand, uh, providing a job within two weeks. And then I went to live in South Sudan. It's a complete opposite of Japan. I lived in, a, in the middle of the bush in a refugee camp. And I ran a food program that fed 60,000 refugees every month. Wow. And uh, talking about serving others, you know, you're giving food to a community that has nothing. They only carried what they could carry in, in their hands. But also spiritually, they were um, such a great opportunity to share the gospel with those um, who don't know Jesus. You know, it's, it's an opportunity to build relationships with people, give them what they, they, uh, they need immediate needs, but mm -hmm. then to provide uh, for the, their 
uh, eternal, eternal needs. If you look back now and see the skills that you learned as an athlete, as a, um, an elite bobsledder, were there any skills that you learned that you were able to transfer to your missions work? Absolutely. Uh, teamwork, right? I've always been on a team. I've always competed on a team sport, football, bobsledding. So working together as a team to accomplish a goal, a discipline, right? You had to be very disciplined to, uh, to become an, uh, an elite athlete, um, show up and do the work, right? Be faithfulness in doing and training each day. But here you had to show up and, and serve people every day. It's not easy. You know, some people appreciate it. Some people don't, but I am called to serve others. And lastly, focus on the prize, focus on the goal. You know, um, as a, as a bobsledder, you focus mm-hmm. on winning a gold medal as, uh, you know, we focus on the, we talked about earlier, focus on the eternal, eternal prize. So serving, serving people, serving the Lord. And at the end of the day, at the end of your life, God's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Brock, tell us about the work that you're doing today. Sure. So I work for a um, Christian organization called Summit Missions International. And what we do is we partner with uh, Christian leaders and churches in Eastern Europe to bring practical help and spiritual hope. Uh, for the purpose of sharing uh, about God's love for them through Jesus Christ. So we work in Ukraine and a small semi-autonomous state called Transnistria, where out of a a country of 500,000 people, less than 5,000 people are Christians. And it's the poorest country in Eastern Europe. So it's such an enormous need, uh, both physically and spiritually, um, there that we are going um, work with established national ministries to, to meet those needs. I just love what you're doing. I'm so inspired by your story. What would you say to somebody who may be listening to our conversation and they're feeling led by God to do something, but they're afraid to give up the securities that they have, the things that have given them their sense of identity, and, mm-hmm. and yet they want to do something they're just not sure how to how to take the first step because it feels uncomfortable. I would say the first thing is lean into it. And what I mean is don't shrug it off. Don't pass it off. Prayerfully consider what the Lord is calling calling them to do. And give it time. See if it's something that was in your head, in your mind, or if it's the Holy Spirit that continues to press you to go, to take that step. I'd say seek wise counsel, seek people who know you. Does this align with your skill set? Does this align with Mm. where they think God is calling you? And lastly, and the hardest probably step is take a bold step of faith. It's scary. It's scary. But I tell you that life that God is calling you is so much more. It's more fulfilling than when the life that that what you value now, where you, when you're in the place where Lord, the Lord has called you, there is no better place to be. How do you manage family in this adventure that God has you on traveling all over the world? Is that hard? Very hard. You know, my wife is incredible. And she, uh, we met actually through Samaritan's Purse and she was living in Liberia. She was living in West Africa um, before I knew her, and she and I was living in East Africa, so she very much feels the same sense of of calling to serve others. But it certainly is a challenge when I'm traveling for two weeks, and we have a four month old, and that's hard. And I have a a three year old, a four year old, and uh, a six year old. Right, that's a lot to manage, and so it's trying to 
uh, take that time when I have it away from work and focus on my family. Try to disconnect a bit from work. And, and you know, I, my wife and I have a, just such enormous responsibility to raise our children to love and know and follow Jesus. I know that there uh, are great challenges when one spouse, one parent is traveling. And I travel quite a bit. And I think of people who are in our armed forces, people who are, who are fighting for freedom on other parts of the world, people on missionary trips. And to stay together as a family is so critically important, uh, not only for our kids, but really for, uh, it's the very fabric of our society. Uh, the building blocks is the, is the family. So what are some of the things that you and your wife do to stay glued together that might be an encouragement for spouses who are apart right now? One thing that is important to us is dinner. A dinner is a time that we get together and as a family, share food, uh, we pray, but also um, talk about the day. You know, we, yeah. we always ask our kids, what's the best, what was the best part of your day? What was the most challenging part of your day? And it gives them uh, an opportunity to think about their day and, and talk about um, what was really good and, and uh, what was not. gets a, a little bit, uh, beyond the surface uh, conversations that we have, and certainly uh, praying with with one another and having a shared vision for what we want for for our lives of, of again serving serving others. Uh, I think praying together is such a key component of of any marriage and uh, growing in your relationship with the Lord separately, but also uh, together as a family. Yeah, great great advice. Brock, uh, thanks so much. Uh, praise God for the amazing story that he's given you to share with us today. And uh, thank you for, for sharing so honestly. Thank you for what you're doing all around the world with all that kingdom work. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.